You're listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and we want to welcome you to episode 60. Wow. We're nearing retirement. (laughs) (laughs) It's our our Diamond Jubilee. I got to pick the album today. The album I selected is the album four by Blues Traveler. Abigail, you got to pick the location. Where are we hanging today? Yeah, we're on location today, but we're not at a brewery. We're actually at a place called Hoppertoon in Delray Beach, Florida. And this is sort of a pour-it-yourself beer venue. So basically, you get this little wristband that has a chip in it. And when you want beer, you go to their wall of taps, you scan your wristband, and then you're able to pour as much or as little as you want of any beer that they have on tap. We've been here before and we had a great time. We've been to other places that have similar structures as well. But we chose to do this differently because one, we have no format, but two, we're calling this episode pour. So we're gonna be pouring it ourselves today. That's a very cool concept. I'm glad you picked this place. We're glad you thought of it. It's really a fun venue and I haven't been up here for quite a while. We don't get to Delray Beach too, too often. I love coming to Delray. I do too. But you know, it's like, 35, 45 minute ride from our house. It's, it's some gnarly roads and some bad yeah, drivers on these roads. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tough town, but they have a ton of great food and beverage venues in Delray Beach. They have a pinball museum that I love, the Silver Ball Museum, which is a, also pay one price and then play all the games that are in the museum. They have a new venue, the Delray Marketplace. It's actually closed right now because they're renovating a little bit, but it's one of these multi-use buildings that they've created where they have a number of venues inside the big building. That's cool. And you can just pick and choose what food you want. You could sit here, you could sit there, and they put live music in the middle of it. That's a fairly new venue. So a lot of fun stuff in Delray Beach, but this is one we discovered a while back because of the concept. And it's a really fun place to be. It is. And they have some really cool things on tap. So I think how I would like to propose we do this is we alternate going up to the taps and surprising each other as we go along. You're going to let me pick some of the beer for your episode? I thought I would be generous today. Oh, well, that's that's very kind (laughs) of you. Well, that'll be fun. So who's going first? I I, guess you should go first. I will go first. I have one in mind already. So so. we'll take a brief break while Abigail selects the first beer. I would just like to say I'm very proud of myself. I didn't see that it shows how many ounces you've poured and so i just poured what looked right and i turned it off it was exactly four ounces what i know it's almost like you're a beer expert it's almost like i've had a lot of four ounce pours of beer (laughs) okay so this is a beer from spanish marie brewery in miami florida oh wow and this is called butter beer butter beer butter beer like uh, the harry potter butter beer yes It is a sour smoothie slash pastry. So I'm guessing this is a pastry sour as opposed to a smoothie sour. 5% ABV and it is described thusly. Conditioned with cream soda, caramel, vanilla ice cream, butterscotch, and whipped cream. What? Man, you're all in on this. Definitely sounds like a pastry sour to me. I'm going to say this right out of the gate. I do not believe this is a beer that pairs well with the album. The album's a little rougher than that, but that's okay. (laughs) Who cares? Cheers. Cheers. That's fabulous. What's this called? Spanish Marie? Spanish Marie Brewery in Miami, Florida. Not one I've ever heard of. I've not been there. Maybe we should go. We have to make a trip. (laughs) (laughs) This is so good. This is research for future episodes is what this is. Yes, it is. Cool. This is kind of crazy. So it's extremely creamy. Extremely creamy. Yes, it is. 
And the sourness, it's a tartness, right? Right. You would say tart because there's a lot of sweetness. But it's almost like a little hint of lemon. It's like maybe you squeezed a little lemon over your pie or something. But it does hang around a little bit. You know, ultimately it turns very sweet at the end, but it's a very slow transition, which is fascinating. The tart hangs around and you kind of feel it wane and dissipate. And then the sweetness is what hangs around. You said whipped cream was involved. So I imagine a whipped cream might be what is making that creamy kind of texture to it. For sure. It didn't say that it had lactose, but there's no way it doesn't, right? Well, unless that's all the whipped cream we're tasting. There was ice cream in it too. Ice cream as well. And cream soda. Oh yeah, cream soda, I forgot. Man. I know. It's very good. It's really tasty. I mean, it tastes like cream soda. It does taste like cream soda. Yeah, I, I don't know that butter beer is the best name for it. Yeah. It doesn't give you a buttery taste. It, when I think of butter beer, I think primarily butterscotch. And but it, it did have butterscotch in it, it but I, it's not very prominent. It's mostly kind of a creaminess, vanilla. Yeah, vanilla, a lot of vanilla. You're right. And then just that yeah. tartness that you're right. It transitions very smoothly into the sweetness. Yeah. It's very really interesting. Good. Yeah, really, really good. good. Well, really while we're good. drinking that frou-frou beer, let's talk about a down and dirty band called Blue. Blues Traveler. And we have some family history with Blues Traveler because canonically, mom's favorite Christmas song is Christmas by Blues Traveler that was on the very special Christmas album, Volume 3, I believe. And so that is a staple of our holiday traditions. But the band really came to prominence around the album we're going to listen to today, which is an album called Four, which was their, surprisingly, fourth album. Oh, I thought you were going to say it wasn't. I thought you were going to be like, surprisingly, it was was their third album. No, no, it was their fourth album and it was called Four. And it became very prominent on the back of two really popular singles, which are very much in the rock pop style. But this album is not that. And it is reflective of the fact that they were most well known as a sort of a rock blues band. I would say rock blues. I've heard Southern rock and some other terms thrown around. Actually formed in New Jersey in the Princeton area, but they were a high school garage band. They got together in high school. Two friends started the band. The guitar player's name is Chan Kinchla. And the harmonica player and primary singer, John Popper, were the two primary guys in the band. It was a four-man band initially. They're known for their live performances, and they started playing in the scene in New York. There was a great story that they had rented an apartment in, I think, Brooklyn, the four of them. They had another friend named Chris Barron, who they knew friends with John Popper. He's famous for being part of the band The Spin Doctors. Oh. They're a rock band, a little harder edge than Blues Traveler. Anyway, John Popper was instrumental in helping that band get started. That was like a side project of this and they got a lot of notoriety and had some hits in the same era as Blues Traveler with this particular album. Anyway, because of their live performances, they were considered to be part of that re-emerging jam band scene in the 90s. Fish was part of that. In fact, Blues Traveler was instrumental in starting the Horde Festival, which is one of these traveling festivals that contained a lot of jam bands in it. That was their notoriety, was live performances, and so they were a live blues band. There's some songs on this album that are going to reflect that, obviously. But when they released four, two of the songs on this album, huge hits. One was, I think, eight on the Billboard Top 100. The other one was 23rd on the Billboard Top 100. Ton of airplay. Two great music videos to go with those, including what's one of my all-time favorite music videos for the song Runaround. So on the backs of those two songs, I bought this album. What I was pleasantly surprised about with this album was that it wasn't all that. I bought it because of those sort of pop hooks that you hear in the two main hits. But the other stuff on here, some of this is really raw blues rock that's more what the band is than the two hits. Yeah. So they gained a lot of notoriety around this album. It was released a week before you were born. 
Really? In 1994. Oh, I thought it said January 1st when I looked it up. No, it was released on September 13th, 1994. So if I had come on time, I would have been alive. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So this is going to be the last album that we do in my initial sweep that falls before you were born. That's so fun. On the second pass, when I have to go back and pull different albums, that may change. But this was right before you were born. Now, it was a sleeper, and then the hit started when the singles were released. It became more of a phenomenon in 1995. You know, they had a lot of notoriety around that they did very well and then they had a tragedy the bass player the original bass player brendan hill died of an accidental drug overdose in louisiana in 1999 around the same time john popper i don't know if he is currently he had a lot of problems with obesity in the 90s to the point where i believe he had a uh, gastric bypass and he was struggling with those issues around the same time that the bass player died and so there's a lot of issues with the band they decided to continue they brought in two people to replace the bassist the bass player and a full-time keyboard player which they hadn't had prior to that and they're still together they released an album in 2021 the thing is they're releasing more of their original blues style experimental stuff long form jam band style albums and they're not getting the radio airplay that they got from their two most famous pop songs but they have been together all that time it's the same guys so the guys who came on in 1999 to replace the bass player are still with the band now. Wow, so that's awesome. As far as the album, I hope you liked it. I picked it because I was going to pick it anyway. But after a conversation <laughs> surrounding Bela Fleck and the Flecktones and how you really focused on the harmonica, I thought, oh, we are going to have a fabulous discussion about harmonica because we talked a lot in that episode about how fast that guy could play and the notes that he could hit. And I think we're going to discuss some of that again today when you hear some of this music. So I hope you got a kick out of the album. I certainly, it's not something I play super frequently, but in going back and listening to it and prepping for this album, I had just a fabulous time really listening to it in depth for the first time in a long time. So when I first put this album in, I knew the two hits that you've been referencing, Run Around and Hook. And those two songs and the Christmas song, obviously, were my only sort of prior baggage with Blues Traveler. So when I put this album in, from the first three songs, it's completely impossible to tell where the rest of the album is going because the first three songs are three completely different styles of song. You have that beautiful pop rock gem to start the album, Runaround. And then the second song is a very long, meandering, experimental, quite jammy song and then the third is a piano ballad or a keyboard yes, ballad. A keyboard ballad and i heard those first three songs and i said okay well i guess i don't know anything about blues traveler <laughs> and you were right and i was right honestly even after spending this much time with this album if someone were to say to me can you describe to me blues traveler sound i'm not sure that i could distill it down with this album alone because they do come back to that ballady sound a couple more times throughout the album the majority of them are sort of jammy and, blues rock and, jams. and long A lot of these songs are long, but I'm trying to think if someone said I'm a fan of XYZ bands, like I can't think of what those bands would be that I might say, oh, you would like Blues Traveler in that case. You know what I'm trying to say? It's hard for me to place this album or this band in a mental musical canon or a genealogy for me. But again, I think that's what's fun about it. I'll go back to the Bela Fleck album where we said, oh, it's this weird combo of banjo and jazz and harmonica. What is it really? And that's what makes it an interesting listen. And again, most of the albums are going to be more like track two in this band's canon. So if somebody were to say, well, who's Blues Traveler? Four might not be the album you would give them 
Right. But it's got the two most accessible songs they've ever written on yeah. it. And so that's what makes the album so darn interesting. It yeah. was a number eight album on the Billboard charts. It's that's- six times platinum. It sold six million copies. It's a huge hit. Yeah, that is wild to me because at least the first three tracks, I fully had it in my head like oh my god this is gonna be the most schizophrenic album we've ever reviewed like what is happening it does settle down but for the first three tracks i was like oh my gosh what is happening it was just a very bizarre opening to this album this band like this experience so maybe i have a little beef with the sequencing i didn't really think about how i would resequence it but certainly to put run around right up front it is not at all the thesis statement for the album so i think maybe that was a poor choice (laughs) it is a great opening track but you're right it's It's maybe fabulous maybe not if you're trying to sell a whole album based on that song and that's what's interesting right this sold that many copies i guarantee you because it was 1994 so people were buying cds they're hearing songs and buying discs that's the marketing at that point people weren't buying singles so you hear the song, you hear another song you love, you got to go buy the album. That's exactly what I did. And then you get this album that's got some really cool stuff on it. But you're right, when you play it, because it is a little bit of a style mishmash, it's a really interesting album to listen to. But you're right, track three, the ballad, and it's a great ballad, don't get me wrong, but it's an odd choice at track three. Yeah, Because there's not a lot more of that on there. If you had gone back and forth more in the pop and the blues rock stuff for four or five songs before you threw the ballad in, you would have a better sense of what you're going to hear on this album. Yeah. The ballad at number three is a rough patch for me. It is. And those longer jammy songs, it's not exactly my cup of tea. I have appreciation for them. They certainly have grown on me, but that's not my favorite. I kind of do tend to like a shorter, more succinct song even some of these longer songs they have beautiful parts that i think could just be truncated at a certain point and still be beautiful three or four minute songs they don't need to be five and six minute songs in my opinion but after runaround and after track two which is that long jammy song i was like okay well if it's like some mix of this i can get behind this right and then the piano ballad comes in and i was like what the hell is this you know so yeah i do think the sequencing is a little funky and if you have too many different styles mixed together and cropping up and i'm not talking about like different instrumentation or like the band on the run album we talked about has like so many different musical styles but they're all comparable enough that like they could all match a certain mood i can say i'm feeling like band on the run today but i can't say i'm feeling like four by blues traveler because what am i feeling like am i feeling like run around and hook Am I feeling like the jammy songs or am I feeling like a sad piano ballad? You know, it might be just a little too diverse for the reasons I would go and listen to an album. No, I agree with that. And that may have been one of the reasons that I played it a lot when I got it and I dust it off from time to time, but it's not in my heavy rotation list. And when I think to put it on, it's because I want to hear run around. Right. (laughs) And I listen to the rest of the album because that's how I roll, right? And the rest of the album doesn't play like run around, but I'm okay with that. I don't have any issues with that. But my use case for this album is because I want to hear run around. Well, and see, to me, that's... (laughs) a case for put run around on a playlist right well that's not how i roll (laughs) well it's not how this podcast rolls either but you might might be proving my point a little bit or my generation is this the point you're gonna make no 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 listen I'm 60 episodes into this. I'm fully committed to the idea of listening to albums at this point. We're 60 episodes into this and we still don't have a format, so I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) All right, listen, I'm draining through this glass and we have to do at least a couple of songs before we... Yeah, so 
let's get right into it with the song that we've all been talking about. This is track one, Runaround. song on the album. Well, we matched already. <laughs> my favorite I as well. I don't think that's any surprise. That was the other thing. Well, my top two favorites were easy and obvious. I found it very hard to choose a third favorite. I found it very hard to choose a least favorite. And I have no guesses as to what those are going to be for you. So that is completely up in the air today. Well, I had an easy time picking my first two. Sure. Yeah. I bet we're going to match them. I had a less easy time picking my third and a very difficult time picking a least favorite and it's really on so here's a shock an esoteric reason of course uh, of course because <laughs> i had to put something in the bottom but yes i mean this is why i went and bought the album and believe it or not this single wasn't released until february of 1995 oh wow almost six months after the album was released so that's why i say it was kind of a slow burn and then when this was released obviously it picked up a lot of steam i had heard this song before obviously but after listening to this album so many times, I just love this song. The opening acoustic guitar is beautiful. And then when the harmonica comes in, I feel like we're going to be saying harmonica riff a lot yes, in this episode. Right. But this harmonica riff is iconic to me. I would know it anywhere. And his voice is amazing. He's a great singer. He's an amazing singer. They harmonize a lot. They have some very tasty harmonies in this album. And he can sing high. He can sing low. He goes all over the map and he sounds amazing doing it. I think the song is absolutely beautiful. The other thing he does with his voice that's interesting is he uses a lot of the musical real estate, yes, right? He, he does. He gets into a thing where his vocal is a part of the rhythm and as fast as he played that harmonica, he can sing that fast as well. I, know. I don't know what the matching skill set is. It says I can move my tongue that fast <laughs> or whatever it is. But Well, that's just it, right? <laughs> the, the dude can get so many <laughs> syllables in in such a short period of time. And the lung capacity. <laughs> and the lung capacity. Well, he's a big boy. I know, but that's... I, but I mean... No, he's fascinating. He can sustain that for such a long period of time. And we talked about in that other episode about different harmonicas, different keys. I, I saw a live clip that I'm going to share. He was playing one of the songs on this album. I was looking for stuff from this album in particular. And he's on stage and he's wearing a vest 
it looks like a fishing vest, but it's a harmonica vest, and he's got like eight harmonicas on each side of his oh, chest wow. so that he can swap out in the middle of the songs or oh whatever he needs to do. So that answers the question about how can you get so high on the notes? I mean, he goes to places. You made a comment in the Bela Fleck album where you're like, how high could he get? Now, he's very, very high, but not so high that it's bothering me. Right. And I was thinking about that comment when I was listening to this album because there are places where he plays so high. I'm waiting to see if you're going to say, that was a little too high for me. That might have been up oh, there where it was no, bothersome to I didn't me. notice anything. Okay. But again, I have younger ears than you, so. Well, no, I, I wasn't bothered by it. Okay. I was just reacting <laughs> to the comment that you had made about, it's very, very high, but not so high that I find it distracting or annoying or something like that, you well, said. I mean, some high-pitched noises are just too high-pitched, yeah. but maybe it's something about the tone and not just the pitch, but I had no issues yeah. on this. No, he can get these super high-frequency yeah, notes so that he's crazy. producing with these harmonicas. The harmonica playing on this album is probably the reason I love it the most. Uh -huh. I mean, he's just amazing, so you're going to hear that in a lot of the songs. Uh -huh. As far as what the song's about, you know, it's just a very upbeat relationship song. It's got a great hook to it. It's no wonder it was a very popular song and had a different feel to it in the early 90s, right? You were seeing the emergence of grunge and sort of the anti-establishment stuff. This is nothing like that. This no, is just, here I am. A pop Let, gem, let's right? have some fun. It's a really great song. I love it very much. It's funny to me that the part I cut it off at, he's going into the part talking about how this person's treatment of him is affecting his confidence. But this is such a joyful song you would never know yeah, like the lyrics completely do not match the tone of the song he's singing about his confidence is shaken but he's out here you know giving it his all singing and he sounds like a totally confident guy so it's one of those beautiful melodies telling There's us a lot terrible of, things of a lack of self-confidence in the lyrics in the relationship songs on this album I mean it's really on both sides yes on both sides the songs talk about complicated relationships and maybe a mismatch somebody leaving or somebody not leaving but the self-confidence that issue is a big theme in that and that's in a lot of the songs well after the first three songs i was like is this the first breakup album that dad has given me yeah there's a lot of that in there <laughs> it's right? kind of a lot of breakups in this it's, one. <laughs> it's some rough stuff I in know. here well, and honestly it's in a lot of the songs regardless of whether it's joyful like this or whether it's a more angsty angry song the themes aren't any different so you wonder, as a writer or as a band, what prompts you when you're writing a song that has that kind of theme to it to decide, I'm going to make this one more of this sort of angry, bluesy thing, or I'm going to make this more of a pop gem right. when the themes are not that dissimilar. That's a great point. I've never really thought about that. All right. Should we move on to track two? Let's do track two, and then I think we should write this thing that I'm almost done that with. That sounds good. I know. I'm saving my last <laughs> sip. I drank almost all of it pretty much immediately after. Here's the thing, though. We can get more. I can go get more between <laughs> songs, and nobody will ever no be the wiser. Yeah. Can you go top us off? No. <laughs> okay. So track two, the aforementioned first long jammy song on the album, is called Stand. Long, 
to fall. I really like Stand for the first three minutes, you know? (laughs) I think this song goes on a little long and it becomes very repetitive at the end. So I think there are multiple opportunities for them to just cut it a little shorter. We've talked about songs that are long but don't play long. When these songs get repetitive, they start to play long. This, I think, is a noticeably long song. Well, you keep saying it's long. It's five and a half minutes. Yeah. It's not seven. No. But I think what you're saying is when it gets repetitive, it feels like seven. Yeah. Like it does play a little bit long. But in its defense, you know, you play that style that you just played, which has got that funky bass line. Yes. Then you get this amazing harmonica bridge. Then you get into a very repetitive, not call and response necessarily, but you know what I'm talking about, for the whole back third of the song. Then you get that weird kind of scat breakdown at the end. Gosh, yeah. And then it ends. So as a jam band, you can see where they play this live. This could go anywhere when you put four elements like that together. Yeah. Like he could do that scat thing for three minutes also. I mean, he doesn't in the song. But I feel like this is an attempt to capture what they sound like live in a song because that's what they're known for, right? So they're selling albums based on what they're known for as live performers. And so to me, this song is interesting in that way. Not my top three, probably bottom third only because of the length. But I I think it's a fun song, but it's the polar opposite of the first song. Yeah, completely different. So I think his voice sounds a lot like Phil Collins in this song. I was hearing it, especially in the section I played, the verses, like the actual verses where he's singing, not the scatting. And then you talked about the call and response. It's more like, singing it around yeah and that's my favorite part of the christmas song yeah right right. so when that came in in this song i was like oh cool this is something i can identify as an element of blues traveler like they do this singing in the round thing and then it's not in the rest of the album so i had to throw that one out i was like okay i guess this isn't a characteristic of blues traveler i think the hard thing about this is i had no idea what section of this song you were going to pick oh because that's any, the problem. Any you of them, can right. pick anything. I like the intro. I love that funky bass line you're talking about. There's a lot of these songs that have those kind of funky bass lines. And I really enjoy that. I don't often pick up on bass lines very easily. I don't know if my ears aren't attuned to that range or I'm, you know, focused on other things. But I could pick out the bass lines in a lot of these songs. And I found that interesting and fun. And I appreciated that. So again, the like actual musical versus the core of the song, I very much enjoy. I think it goes on a little long and a little repetitively. And that's going to be a theme on all these songs, you know? So if you don't mind, I am going to ask you to do me a favor. Can you play what I described as sort of a scat piece toward the bottom of the song? It's very close to the bottom. I will. So the reason I wanted you to play that is this was the section when I mentioned earlier that he sings in some context as fast as he can play the harmonica. Yeah. This is an example of that. Yeah. I mean, that is unbelievably quick singing. (laughs) I don't know what else to describe it. I was going to say quick tongue work and it didn't sound sound as good. 
But that fascinates me that the guy can put that many syllables out in that length of time. Yeah, but they don't have to sound any particular way because he's just making sounds. Could he sing an audible, like, understandable sentence that fast? I think when we get to... Oh, yeah. When we get to Hook, we'll figure Hook, we'll, get we'll, to, we'll, we'll figure answer out. your own All question. Right. Oh, by Stay the way, tuned, listeners. The other thing was you were showing me how they wrote those lyrics oh, on yeah. your... Oh, yeah. Can I read that? Actually, I found you it very You could try funny. to read it. Oh. Go ahead. It's funny. Okay, so here's how Spotify lyricizes those. But diddle da did do, but diddle da diddle da do, etc. Yeah, that's what I was going to show you on my lyric sheet. It does the same thing. It just goes ah to hell with it, etc. Et <laughs> I thought that was great. It's funny. We should try and learn that part. And, uh... It's like the bazap zimboni you learned that at one point, didn't you? I know that. Perhaps I'll <laughs> sing us out with that today instead of anything off the album. Amazing. <laughs> All right. I finally get to have my last sip. Oh, it's so good. Am I reading first because it's my beer week? Sure. Oh, no, it's your beer week. What am I talking about? I'm good. Right All right. This is a four and a quarter for me. Wow. I love this beer. It's so refreshing, but it's got a complexity to it. Even though it's light and easy to drink, there's a lot of moving parts on this, and it's just a fascinating beer. And I know the name of this brewery, but I've never been there and never thought about going there, but I'm moving it up my list based on this beer. That's awesome. I'm going to give it a 4.0. I find it extremely delicious, very creamy. Like you said, refreshing. Who would have known that a beer with whipped cream and ice cream and all that butterscotch would have been refreshing, but it was. And I think it was just a little hint of tartness that came in. It made it more like a lemonade slushy or like a lemonade milkshake, you know? It drinks like a pastry sour or a pastry stout without a being that heavy we drink that stuff from invasive species that's got so much mouthfeel because it's so almost thick this is not thick at all but it's got all that flavor it's really good yeah the only reason i gave it a 4.0 is i think if i were to have a larger size of this i think the sweetness over time might get a little overwhelming even by the end of it i was just starting to be like okay enough sweetness for today (laughs) so as i walk up to the wall you're asking me to not get something as sweet get whatever you want (laughs) i um i think i know what i'm gonna do next Uh um So it'll be interesting if you and I kind of have the same idea. But I would like to see what you are going to pick with no suggestions from me. All right, I'm heading over to the big board. We'll be back. All right, I have returned from the big board. It smells like an IPA, like a juicy IPA. What, 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 well, it's me. What do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> so I went with one that's not from Florida. This is Grim Artisan Ales from Brooklyn, New York. And the name of the beer is Lumen. L-U-M-E-N, Lumen. It is a... Um, ABV. Here's the description. This award-winning classic Grim IPA is soft and juicy with bright tropical flavors. Citra, Mosaic, and Eldorado varietals are kicking out notes of overripe mango, guava, papaya, tangerine, and lime. Velvety mouthfeel. Parentheses. I'll be the judge of that. In parentheses. And a soft (laughs) bitterness. You added that. That's not on the wall. I said parentheses and parentheses. (laughs) Okay. I was trying to... What is that? Bracketology? Bracket it. And a soft soft bitterness. A balanced, hazy IPA. And I didn't bring this up to the wall. I knew I hadn't had it. It's a pretty highly rated one. Oh, nice. I I guessed well. So, cheers. Cheers. Right away. It smells... How dare you? Like fresh mango. So that is 
100% correct from the description. That's a mellow drinking beer. Oh, yeah. It is a lot of tropical fruit. Not as strong as I'm smelling it, though. No, no, no. Like, it's, the flavor it's... of the fruit is very subdued, I guess, compared to how it smells. What do you think it smelled like? Mango? Mango. Like, truly, like... But it tastes like guava. Oh, okay. Right? Oh, you haven't tasted it. No, I have tasted it. I just, I didn't get guava immediately. I think that's the, of the things they listed, the one that's the most prominent to me. I don't know. You're not sure? You're not, not convinced? Sure. I'm not convinced. I mean, it clearly has a tropical fruit. Yeah. I was thinking of a star fruit, but that wasn't on oh, the list. Oh, a star fruit. Right? Yeah. It's a lighter, citrusy, yeah. and juicy like a star fruit. Star fruit's a weird fruit, not going to lie. I would say this has an effervescent mouthfeel. Yeah. How, how would you... Yeah, uh, I think so. what they say the mouthfeel was? Because I'm not getting what they described. And since I am the arbiter of all things mouthfeel... How do you know if you can't remember what they described it as? <laughs> velvety. Oh, no. Not at all. Yeah, not velvety. No. Well, I'm going to drink that one quick, it's, too. It's tasty. It's a very accessible IPA. It has the hoppiness, but there's no bitterness in there. And even the hoppiness, it's... Subdued, I think yeah, is my new favorite yeah. word. It's subdued. not subtle because it's there. You can taste it, but it's muted. 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 And subdued. And subdued. Not brash and in your face. Did you... Uh, did, did you, I look up did, a Did one of <laughs> somebody thesaurus? put a criticism up on like Apple that says use different adjectives or what, what's the story? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm studying for the SAT actually. <laughs> All right, let's move on to track three. Now, once again, in my first listen through of this album this was the third song that is a completely different style that made me think what the heck am i listening to what have i been assigned so this is look around you got no one to blind but yourself if you come out of ways see there ain't me that's been off at that incredible guitar solo unfortunately yep so despite this being a little shock to my system when it came on after the first two tracks i love this song i think it is absolutely gorgeous the piano like on this album does the piano really fit in maybe not maybe if they had done a ballad that was more focused on the instruments that they focus on in the rest of the album you know like maybe if this was a harmonica based ballad or an acoustic guitar ballad i might not have had that sort of jarring experience my first time hearing it because i didn't play the intro but it's a piano ballad i mean truly it opens as a piano ballad i love piano but i don't know it weirdly it fell flat and maybe that was in the context of the album and the other instruments they use on the album but regardless of that i think this is a gorgeous song i love the meaning of the lyrics so how i interpret it is it's a breakup and 
he's telling the other person, this is your fault. Like, I'm not the reason you're unhappy. You're the reason you're unhappy. And you have to do some soul searching to figure out how to make yourself happy on your own, right? How to improve your mental health so that you are a happier person before you can let anyone else in. And that's a great and very important message, right? But he says it very gently. I think he really cares about this person and he genuinely wants them to find happiness. The lyrics may be a little harsh, but I think the way he's singing them is full of love and care for this other person. And sometimes we all need a little bit of tough love, so. (laughs) There's a part toward the end though, where he admits that I'm a problematic person, but you knew that going in. The lyrics that I'm referring to specifically are toward the end of the song. And I don't care, buyer beware of me, because it might get rough. She's not the first one come and gone, he says, above that. So while he's saying to the other person, you're not happy with yourself, you're going to have to go find some answers. The reason he's saying it's not about him is because it sounds like whatever his character flaws are, they're out in the open, and you knew that going in. So... In that context, it's kind of like I'm, put, yeah. I'm kind of putting the blame on her because she wasn't accepting of the flaws that I told her I had up front. Yeah. But I like that complexity. Yeah. But here's the thing. This is my bottom song, my least favorite really? song. Really? I agree with you that the piano, it's the most prominent it is on the whole album. It's the only song that's really piano driven. I love piano music. Yeah. So again, I like the song. I don't have a problem with the song. I think on this album, it's the odd man out. And maybe the third slot makes it even more of an odd man out to me, like we talked about earlier. 100%. And the final nail in the coffin, zero harmonica. Yes. And I came to this album for the harmonica and you cheated me out of it on one of the tracks. so funny. Bottom song. Yeah, that is totally fair. Yeah, I noticed that too. No harmonica. It's like, how? And here's the thing. When I was doing this breakdown at the end and I was going through to make my final notes, I listened to the song. I was like, there's no harmonica in that. And then I couldn't convince myself. So I'm I'm driving. I thought I was going crazy. (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) I'm driving somewhere yesterday and I'm like, I got to put that song on and just confirm that there's no harmonic in it. And I play it and I get distracted because I'm driving. I was like, I got to play it again. Oh, shoot. (laughs) I don't remember now. Let me do it again. I played it three times (laughs) in the car and then I gave up. I sat down this morning and played this song in an uninterrupted environment to confirm one final time. There's no harmonic in this song. The CD liner notes probably say what instruments are on each song. Who reads that? It's the 2023s. Yeah, I own the disc. I have the the full... Famously read the liner By notes. the way, we made a comment about if I own the CD, I should be bringing that stuff to the recording session so we have it in front of us, and here's the first chance of that to happen, and I screwed it up. That's already. all right. That's okay. It's okay that we don't have props. Well, it turns out I'm fallible, which is interesting oh, because... Because our next track is called Fallible. Well, the last thing I wanted to point out in the lyrics was that I love the... Um, I guess it's an idiom, leaving no stone unturned. Would you call that a metaphor or an idiom? It's not really a metaphor, I don't think. So an idiom. But he uses that in the song, but he rephrases it. So we all know what he's talking about. He's using a commonly known idiom, but he just changes the words a little bit. And I love when artists do that in lyrics. I think it's a shortcut to make sure we know exactly what you're talking about, but it's not a cliche because you have changed the lyrics and made them in your own. In this case, he says... You'll have to unearth every ugly stone that's kept you on your own and simply put them down. Love it. A slightly different way yeah. to rephrase the cliche so that it's fresh. 
Exactly. No, he's a very clever lyricist overall, like in this song we're talking about, where he's putting the onus on the other person, but admitting to his own flaws, but then not taking responsibility for his flaws. Mm -hmm. That's a really layered way yeah. to write that. Yeah. There's so self-awareness to that that's really kind of fun and interesting. Well, his lyrics to me seem to be very imagery heavy. Like there's a lot of very distinct, concise images in here, but sometimes the specificity of the meaning can get lost in this list of imagery. Yes. And so the images are beautiful. They really anchor you in place, right? You know what the artist is thinking about and seeing when he's writing this, but I can't parse what several of these songs mean and I'll be interested to hear if you have any interpretations on them mostly all of them honestly <laughs> well not to go back but to track two stand but I wrote in a specific note that says obtuse lyrics seems like a metaphorical breakup song it's same thing you're talking about right. which is it's image heavy and sometimes you're trying to figure out what meaning is he trying to impart through the use of that imagery I mean I know what each song's about I don't know all the details of right, what it's about. right right but I know at the end of the song oh this was clearly a breakup song where he was putting the onus on the other person despite his own flaws so I like the writing. And I noticed that some of the jammier songs are the ones that have the shortest lyric sets because a lot of it's repeated and that's not really the focus of the song. So even though they have a lot of musical real estate, i.e. the length of the song, they're not using it all by filling it with new lyrics, which is fine. That's not what jamming is about. But maybe because so much of the album is that style, we're losing a lot of lyrical meaning and, and specificity just based on the structure of the music alone. But that's not who this band is. They're a live jam band, blues band. Right, that's what I'm saying. Do the old yeah, blues the riff. the lyrics and, are like half a page, yeah, but the yeah. song is seven minutes long. Well, it's not seven, but... 638 or whatever. It's not. You're thinking of the wrong song. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> you are fallible this time. All right, enough with the fallible. Let's actually play a little bit of track four, Fallible. favorite song on the album oh, wow. and just for such silly reasons i don't find the music particularly interesting there is that bass line that is cool that runs throughout but i don't think his voice sounds as good as it does on the rest of the album on this song in particular i don't really vibe with the lyrics that much i mean he likes the word infallible he wrote a song about it he says infallibly like a hundred times at the end of the song it's like okay so you learned an sat word right and you want to uh... use it <laughs> I think he's smarter than me. <laughs> By the way, he didn't go to college, so. Oh. Or he didn't finish college. My apologies. Yeah, I just, it's not 
for any egregious reason. I just don't really care for the song. So it's my least favorite song on the album. It has an angrier tone to it because it's a song about, yeah. a, about a broken narrator who's in a broken relationship, right? Everybody's broken. Yeah. We hold up the mirror and we hate what we see. Ugh, I hate that they feel that way, you know? But that's a pretty powerful image. Oh, of course. So the reason I like the song was because there's a self-awareness to this narrator. He understands that he's broken. You know, is he doing anything about it? You don't get a sense of that from the song. And this is the song with the most self-loathing in the entire album. Yeah. And it's got the angriest vibe, so I can see why, you know, musically it might rub you the wrong way. But... You say an angrier vibe, but it's not like a hard rocking. Like there's a song later on this album that made me think of Incubus, actually, because it's just a really hard edged song. Not necessarily angry, but I think the hardness makes it sound angry in and of itself. This one, the lyrics are angry and it is a harder song, but it's not like... I feel like he's just not leaning into it enough. It's just kind of like, I don't know. I I, I feel the anger in it, mostly from how quick the bass line is played, maybe. It's a great bass riff, yeah. and it's played faster, and some of the other music's got a little distortion on it. It just it, it pushes it into a little bit of an angrier kind of vibe overall. It's not the hardest edge song on everybody any right. stress of the imagination, but I like that combo for some reason, and what I really liked was that self-awareness in the lyrics. I think that's what really propelled it up in the top half of the album for me. But now we're five songs in and we've had really five different styles of song. Yeah, yeah. And this song has an invented word in it, narcisside. Oh, I love that word. It's such a cool word, isn't it? Commit my narcisside. Commit my narcisside. Right. I know exactly what it means. I can't define it. Like, I can't say to you, oh, it means X, Y, Z. Presumably the death of his narcissism, right? Or... Or is he committed suicide by narcissism relationship suicide ended the relationship because of my narcissism but that goes back to that self-awareness piece that i liked a clever made-up word just underscores that very clever in the writing okay let's move on to track five and track five is called the mountains win again nice little harmonica licks at the end there really pretty this song is another kind of slower ballady song it's not piano driven unlike look around but it is been that slower more ballady vein and another kind of breakup regretful song about a relationship ending i think the title is 
fascinating the mountains win again when i saw the title i was like oh my gosh like what could this mean i was interested to hear the song based on the title my interpretation of it i guess is isolation right like you end a relationship and you you just have to go be alone in nature the pull of the mountains of nature is what takes you away from the pain of the relationship have no idea if that's what actually it is intended to be but who knows like the lyrics are kind of obscure in this one but it is definitely in my opinion about a relationship ending there was a line i wanted to point out at the beginning i pick up my smile put it in my pocket men are not to cry so how am i to stop it more kind of self-awareness right. mental health stuff coming in a social commentary almost on how am i as a man supposed to share my emotions if society tells me men don't cry put it away put it in your pocket and then at the end he brings it back the section that i played started with a pocket is no place for a smile anyway right. like maybe we should be wearing our emotions on our sleeves right instead of in our pockets like being open about our emotions is the only way to overcome the stigma associated with showing the emotions so i think that's lovely we talked about the confidence stuff being touched on a lot in this album and you know mental health stuff and i think that's really cool i was obviously a week away from being born when this album was released but in my sort of idea of what the world was like back then i wasn't aware that mental health we've reviewed a lot of albums from the 90s and even the 80s that touch on mental health and i didn't know that that was a commonly discussed thing back then so it, i'm learning that at least the artists yeah, were discussing it that's the point i think that the artists were bringing those issues forward when maybe it wasn't as widely recognized in the general population or dealing with it wasn't as widely accepted right it makes you wonder you know a lot of artists go through rehab for example or whatever right. and have that experience so maybe that contributes to why among artists it would be something That's that would come true. out more frequently. So That's true. For me, this song, I love the writing of this song. You know, there's three distinct verses. And as you go through there, there's a movement in the relationship, right? The first verse, it sounds like a very upbeat love song. But then it turns, the second verse is really the breakup. And the third verse is the recovery. The part about pulling the smile back out of the pocket and wearing it is sort of that recovery. And I think that's really, really cool. So this is my third favorite song on the album, believe it or wow. not. Wow. Mostly on, you touched on it when you said, oh, that little harmonica riff at the end. Well, that's much more prominent throughout the song. And it's one of the hookiest harmonica riffs on the whole album. And I kept coming back to that. When the song would come on, it would make me smile to Aww. hear that harmonica riff. That engaged me into the song. And then when I read that progression in the lyrics and that sort of three phases of the guy's relationship starting ending and recovering from that i thought wow that's a really well written solid song i did not know it's the third single from the album oh really it was released in 1995 once again singles mcgee hummel <laughs> you just can't get away from it but i didn't know that i know you didn't I don't that's, think that's i remember what makes it funny i don't remember this being a single i can find no data on it it clearly didn't chart they just said 1995 they didn't even give a date for its oh, release wow. probably because the album blew up you know this was another fairly accessible song right with a good harmonica hook maybe that's why they released it as a single didn't know that 
was drawn to it and then realized, oh my goodness, here I am again with the singles. <laughs> so really yeah, funny. this is my third favorite on the album. Do you have any thoughts on the mountains winning again? My note on here was, love the writing on this, not sure of the title. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> or refrain. And all I could think of was, when I think of mountains, I think of the difficulty of getting over them. Oh. The mountains win again. I'm struggling to get over this. That makes so much more sense than my interpretation. But I just, you gotta like really sit and think about it to kind of go, yeah. well, what does this mean? It's a great catchy refrain and it sounds deep and it's so deep that I'm just making stuff up. I don't know. Yeah. It's an oddly compelling title, like you said, yeah. to a great song that somehow I can't put those two pieces together in a really cohesive way. But I, I have to believe it's sort of the hurdle to overcome and how difficult it is to do that. And I've given up. The mountains win again. No, that makes total sense. I feel like it was one of those things where they came up with the title first, you know, they thought of that phrase or they heard that phrase or something. And then they were like, well, gosh, darn, that is so interesting. We got to make a song about it. I think you're probably right. Yeah. But in this case, I'm not sure they nailed it. <laughs> no, I would agree. Great title. Let me write a song that's peripherally referenced by it. <laughs> see if it works. We've done three songs. Do we need another beer? I think so. Okay, I'm running, great. I'm running low. Me so too. once again, this is Lumen from Grim Artisan Ales. It's a American IPA. And I like it a lot. Nothing's oh, it's an really American bad. IPA. Yeah. Not even a hazy. It's listed here as an American IPA. Wow. Okay. But I'll be honest with you, up on the board, I thought they had it listed as a hazy. You want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first. I'm going to give this a 3.75. First of all, as American IPAs go, this is outstanding because it's not really an American IPA. It's more of a hazy IPA. Or I think so. IPA. It was opaque, but not cloudy. I mean, there's different levels of hazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hazy IPA is still, you know, a very broad category, but... I found this delicious. I found it refreshing. I found it very easy to drink. The hoppiness is there. So it falls into that beer drinker's beer. Yep. Checks that box off, but not bitter at all. Tropical fruit, completely there. It smelled strongly of fresh mango. I can't identify a fruit on the taste of it, but tropical fruit in general yeah, in is general. clearly there sort of a effervescent mouthfeel, not really creamy or velvety or whatever they called it. But yeah, delicious and a 3.75. And I'm between a 3.75 and a 4, and I think I'm going to move it up to a 4 for all the same reasons you talked about, especially as an American IPA. It's a really easy drink in American IPA. Oh, yeah. Really drinks much more like you suggested, like a hazy or a juicy IPA. Tropical flavors are the things that are the most prominent. You could easily drink this outside. Yeah. It would be refreshing. It would not be overwhelming. But you couldn't drink a lot of them because it is stronger. 6.8%. <laughs> but it's also not just stronger by ABV, but also stronger... The flavors are a little more intense than your sort of crushable. Sit yeah. at the beach and have a bunch of them. This but is... they weren't as intense as the butter beer we had. No, no, no. Well, different, completely different. Completely flavor different flavors. Profile. But I mean, in terms of the amount of flavor, this is less. Than to the first I would totally agree with you. Okay, it I... looks like you must stroll to the big board. It is my turn, and um, we're just throwing order out the window. Uh, of right? course okay, we are. Okay, we're gonna pour. Four. four. Pour four. In any order In that any you order. want. Okay. So bring it on. I'll be back. 
your face as I was walking up with these was a sight to behold. What do we got? So this is from Barreled Souls Brewing Company in Seiko, Maine. It is called Tripping Through Maine. It is a collaboration with Tripping Animals. Oh, that's cool. And it is a 14.10% What? ABV. Yes, I did two ounce pours on this. We're going little. And this is an imperial stout with blueberry jam and maple syrup. Oh, wow. I just want to point out, by the way, that there is a shuffleboard game going back over your shoulder. I saw that. And the person who's playing now has no subtlety. I don't know what that means. Well, she is really banging them. Not quite as bad as the ring game we sat through at uh, Ardwolf. That was at Ardwolf, yeah. (laughs) All right. Cheers. Cheers. That's a big, sweet, chocolatey, blueberry. I like this. That's very good. You know the word imperial. Generally scares you. Generally scares me. This is delicious. Weirdly enough, I taste banana more than anything. Really? Yeah. I get. I mean, I get chocolate as well. chocolate. To me, it tastes like a chocolate banana smoothie. Yeah, how about that? I eat a lot of bananas, and I'm not really getting the banana. It's sweet. I mean, I get the sweetness. Now, this one has a velvety mouthfeel. That has a velvety mouthfeel. This is what I'm talking about. We need you on these descriptions. Exactly. So I picked this one because, A, it sounded fascinating, and you like stouts. But I thought it was cool that it was from a brewery in Maine that collaborated with Tripping Animals. Which I think is also excellent, yeah. But see, I was going to pick a stout thinking you weren't going to pick a stout, so now I have to rethink my final pick. Were you going to pick this stout? I'm not sure, but you oh, cut in line I'm sorry. on the stout situation. <laughs> this is why I asked about the order. Well, I can't... Because this is not a third beer. This, is, this yeah, should be a well, fourth beer. Yeah. <laughs> so you messed up that rotation, but then on top of that, it's like I can't have another one at 12. And now I have to rethink the board. Board. All right. This is what happens when we go one by one and try to surprise each other. Let's get a format together. Never. All right. <laughs> okay. We're moving on to track six. Track six is called Freedom. about an angrier sound like you heard on fallible like yeah this is angrier this is to me what it sounds like to really lean into that anger right to me this is the song that reminded me a little bit of incubus there's a guitar breakdown a little later in the song that really i think sounds like incubus and another band called 311 which also is often compared to Incubus, but not enough for me to pick a song and say this sounds like this other song, just kind of a vibe, right? That harder sound and the angrier lyrics and the fact that the harmonica is very subdued in this song. It's really about the traditional 
rock instruments. And they don't go all jammy in this one. This one is what it is. It's structured relatively traditionally. This is not in my top three, but it's in my top half, I would say. I enjoyed this one. I think this is the most political song on the album. If you read through the lyrics, right, that first part you played is really a description of homelessness, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. it says, uh, I walk right by him and he's freezing his ass off. He could be dead and I'm supposed to walk away. I won't remember a thing come the summertime. Handful of quarters makes me feel okay. And that's traded off with other verses that really talk about greed. I love what's mine because what's mine is all mine. Yeah. I defend what's mine because what's mine is all mine. And so, again, not direct lyrics in the classic sense, a little on the obtuse side, as I mentioned before, and as you mentioned before, but it seems to be more about a discussion of economics or capitalism or how I'm going to hoard what's mine and not going to worry about people living on the street prescient now as it was in 1995 yeah but it's really hard to know which side of the fence the narrator sits on in other words he sings it from the point of the view of the guy with the greed i think he's trying to make the case that that's a bad thing yeah and yet with the narrator being on the side of the greed it's a little bit of a tricky song he's making a statement about how bad it is to be greedy through a narrator who's saying how good it is to be greedy yeah if that makes sense yeah and, well that's what satire is but it doesn't play like it's satire. very realistic it's not exaggerated Yeah, the narrator's angry, and he's the greedy guy. So we're not angry about homelessness the way this song is written. So while I think it's a song that's about how bad greed is, it's tough because the guy who's greedy is the angriest guy in the song. Yeah, What's he got to be angry about? Okay, so the point you were bringing up about the narrator's the greedy guy, but he's making the point that it's a bad thing even though he's singing genuinely from the perspective of it's a good thing. The line... In the section that I played, who's going to have to pay? In reference to homelessness, that kind of has a double meaning, right? It's like, who is going to provide the money that it takes to solve the problem of homelessness, right? But also, who's actually paying the price for the the problem of... Right, exactly. Like, who's paying the price? It's the people who are homeless. They're the ones suffering the most from them being there, right? But they don't have what is needed to financially get themselves out of that situation. So everyone has to contribute to society, right? Like people aren't islands, right? The only way we can improve as a society is if we help each other. Yeah, we can't create a system that has such a high percentage of people who can't afford to be in a home or have a mental health issue where we don't provide them the resources to get back on track, we have the resources to do that. We just choose not to allocate. And we have the resources to change the cost of living in the United States, and we choose not to do that, right? We have a way to change living wage, and we choose not to do that. And so your point is, yeah, we all have to pay. If people make a living wage, things are going to be a little bit more expensive. They're not going to be a lot more expensive because most of the inflation that we've seen in recent months has been so that profits go through the roof, not that people get paid better. The upper echelon in big business in the United States is basically raking the rest of us over the coals, right? And then we complain that somebody can't get together. I mean, housing in South Florida is not affordable. It's just not. And so, you know, when homelessness is at an increase because you have to come up with a first, a last, 
in a month's rent to get into an apartment and the rent for the month is $2,500. Average working people don't have $7,500 and just you do that to get into a place to live. I mean, we have to change the parameters in some degree. Anyway, this is Pops on Hops where we talk about beer and music and nothing else. And say. so <laughs> how about we move on to a less political song? How about we go to track seven? Track seven is called Crash and Burn. my third favorite song on the album. Wow. And I think that is because, in my opinion, it's kind of the best of all worlds on this album. It has an incredible harmonica hook. Yep. And I cut it off just before the harmonica solo, but that's incredible as well. It feels like it could be a jammy, jammy song because of the harmonica and because of the fact that in theory, you could drag that out as long as you wanted. You could take this song and turn it into a jam. It doesn't have very many lyrics. So it sort of already fits nicely into that structure. But guess what? It's like a two minute and 40 second song. Right. So you get all of the spice of the jammy song, but it's not five, six minutes long. It's perfectly concise and you just get the best parts of all of it. And so this, I think, is the third best song on the album. That's a great pick. So this is the most traditionally blues song on the album, right? Yeah. It's got the instrumentation. It's got the rapid fire harmonica riff. It's got sparse. He sings fast too. Sparse lyrics. You can totally see this in an old blues bar, you know, in the South. Two minutes and out, like you said. But it's a pretty well written song despite the lyrics being sparse because he always sings about two things, right? A witch on a broom and a tower of cards, both of which can crash. That's and the, burn. And that's the essence of the song. Yeah. And then the rest of it is driven by the music. Yeah. So yeah, this is a very well done song. This is what makes you go, oh, their roots are based in the blues. And this is the best example of that on the album. Fabulous, in my opinion. I wrote this bizarre note. I remember you saying, oh, sometimes I just write these notes to make myself chuckle. <laughs> so I wrote, which on a broom? Tower of cards. I'll take things that crash for 200, Alex. I can see how that would make you chuckle. Yes. <laughs> I can see why it didn't make you chuckle. We have just slightly different senses of humor, I think. Yeah, <laughs> like 90 degrees off. You think? All right, that brings us to track eight. And track eight is called Price to Pay.
here with a tale to tell Might as well tell to you Nothing near right now Price to pay. The very first to escape this is not in my top three, but it is up there. It's probably my on the cusp song. Oh, wow. I enjoy this song very much. First of all, it has a distinct and specific story that's being told. Exactly. And he even notes that up front in the opening line. He says, standing here with a tale to tell, might as well tell it to you. And then he makes a literary reference that I can't quite parse. Nothing near Wagnerian as Terminator 2. I assume the movie Terminator 2. I don't know who Wagner is. I didn't bother uh, I to look it Wagner up. Wagner wrote uh, operas in Germany. Okay, so kind of fun to combine those two things in a sentence. That's an interesting reference or allusion there. But then he tells the story of this young girl who basically wants adventure. She wants to get out in the world. She goes to a circus. She sleeps with this guy. She has all these adventures and she doesn't realize that her being so earnest, you know, there's a price to pay. Something's going to happen, right? First of all, I think it's great that there is a specific story being told in this song. I think it's fun. It's easy to follow. I love the price to pay. The notion that this person is young and naive and truly believes that she can just go have the world and experience everything she wants with no repercussions and quickly learns that every action has consequences, effectively. Yeah, and I think that's true because as it gets to the bottom third of the song, it seems like the relationship turns abusive. That might be the price to pay, right? She went out as a free spirit and jumped into this relationship with the guy from the circus, and then it goes ugly, and then she leaves. And in fact, the narrator at the end doesn't know what happened to her. I hope she's okay kind of yeah, thing at yeah, the yeah. end. Not really sure, right? We don't know what the outcome of that was. Right. And we assume she's okay, but was there even a worse price to pay for leaving this abusive guy? We don't know the answer to that. It's a lot like that song on the Rock and Tours album. It doesn't sound like that song, yeah. but that really wacky song at the end. Carolina, Carolina drama. drama. Where it was this sort of narration. Yes, so yes. That makes me bring up that I have an entry into the Abigail Hummel School of Speaking smartly about music. What? And I know I'm supposed to eventually get my spring break. I still can't seem to get it. <laughs> but if you don't mind, I'd like you to pull up the uh, Manford Mann song, Blinded by the Light. I'm going to do the Manford Mann version, not the Bruce Springsteen version, because I think it sounds more consistent with what I'm going to share. Some cynical sister with the manager, mister, told me I got what it takes. She said, I'll turn you on Sunday into something strong. Play the song with the foggy break. Bag home in the swamps of Jersey. Wrong song, but that's okay. We'll give you a half credit. <laughs> Go to right where you cut off the song from Blues Traveler at the second verse that starts off her very first chance. Very first chance to escape that 
So you get a sense of why I, I thought do. those two things, they don't read exactly the same, but there's a cadence to it. Yes. It didn't hit the same notes necessarily at the end of the lines, but it's very, very similar. And it's that kind of level of storytelling, right? It's yeah. the same sort of throwing a bunch of information out here quickly. And it just made me think of the song by Man for Man, courtesy of Bruce Springsteen. And as you say, at the Abigail Hummel School of Speaking Smartly about music, if it makes you think of it, you're on the right track. Very true. And a very good call. This is just kind of slightly sped up, but they sound very similar. Yes. The other thing I wanted to note on this song is, weirdly enough, the opening, which I played, and I wanted to play the opening because I think the opening sounds like Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. It uh, reminds me of something, too. You're exactly There's right. There's the harmonica's there, but it's kind of mournful. The song really picks up a few lines into the song, which I love. But the harmonica has kind of a mournfulness to it, and it just sounded like some of those songs on the Bela Fleck album. There's another song, though, and I didn't want to have too many Abigail Hummel schools speaking spoiling well, oh, about music. never too much. In the same song. I didn't want to have two references oh, in the it's same the song. Same it's the beginning of this song. Yeah. There's a song that it made me think of, and I didn't bother going digging it up because we got further in the song, and the man for man thing jumped out at me. So, listen, I got to milk this thing. I got to drag this degree out forever. If I give you too many things, you give me my degree, it's all over. That's true. <laughs> we'll have jumped the shark. Let's not jump the shark. All right, let's move on to track nine. Track nine is the second single we've all been talking about. Released in August of 1995. And this is called Hook. Shoot, doing to me the same TV is not for free. It's so PC is killing me. So desperately I'll sing the other love. Shove it off, so raging, pain, pain, and fear itself. And I can't keep these feelings on the shelf. I try it. Well, no doubt I lie. The defense was suicide, but I got too much fun inside your hide. Or slide. I'll do as I'll decide and let it ride until I die. And only then shall I abide this lie to catch a little tunes. I'll skip three minute ditties. I wanna bust all your balloons. I wanna burn all of your seeds. Say on that you can rely in a Yoda voice, please. <laughs> I can't do a Yoda voice. On that you can rely, young Padawan. <laughs> I love it. So this is my second favorite song. And it's my second favorite song. Yeah. We've matched two today. Unsurprising. I've known this song for many, many years, actually. The person who introduced me to this song was none other than Annie Ozenbaugh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Way, way back in the day when I did that summer where I like lived with her for three weeks. <laughs> Her family, not her. That rapid fire lyrical part that I just played is to me the most iconic part of this song. And that is what made me love the song. That is what drew me to the song. I find it interesting when the rhymes are sort of breaking up the sentences. The one that really stuck out to me is 
catchy little tunes of hip three minute ditties. I want to burst all your balloons. I want to burn all your cities to the ground. I found the rhythm does not match the sentences. The rhymes aren't at the ends of the sentences. And it makes it really fun to listen to and to sing along to because the beats and the rhymes are not hitting necessarily where you expect them to based on the structure of the sentences, which happens in hip hop and rap as well. Yeah, this has got a very hip hop flow vibe to it. Yeah, right? but it's just, it really tickles my brain in the right way. As I'm trying to learn the lyrics to these songs and as I'm trying to sing along, like this is a really fun one. I cannot sing this part, but I can hit certain fun rhymes that I like. And to the ground is one where I just scream it to the ground. It's so fun. And obviously the hook of the song is catchy. And I just, yeah, I love this one all around. Do you know what it's about? No clue. To me, it's the Seinfeld song on the album. It's a song about nothing. Oh. He's basically singing nonsense to prove the point that the you hook. can sing nonsense. I was going to write an envelope that this was going to be your favorite song because I thought you were going to pick up on the fact that as a lyric agnosticist, this is a great ironic song for you. I mean, the opening line. It's very meta, isn't it? It's exactly right. Yeah. In fact, I put the meta song about nothing as my note. It doesn't matter what I say so long as I sing with inflection. He's so right. That makes you feel I convey some inner truth or vast reflection. He's hitting the nail on the head. But I've said nothing so far. And I can keep it up for as long as it takes. And it don't matter who you are. If I'm doing my job, then it's your resolve that breaks. Because the hook brings you back. To me, this is my second favorite song. And it's my favorite lyrically on the whole thing because of that. The whole song is about zero. Love it. And it's fascinating, right? um... But he went through the exercise of saying, like when you listen to it now when he sings, as long as I sing with inflection. Yeah. He's singing with inflection. Yes, especially later in the song. And that's why it's such a cleverly written meta song. This song was such an easy get for me because I already knew it and already knew I loved it that when I heard it on the album, I did not feel the need to go read the lyrics at all. So, yeah, totally. So you didn't read the lyrics No, not at all. Oh, I'm so shocked. (laughs) I think if you had read these, you may have flipped your two choices. I don't think so. Run Around. No, Run Around is is very beloved to me. By the way, there's an excellent music video to this song. And it's also meta because a guy who appeared in the Run Around video is sitting on a couch flipping through the channels on TV. And the first part, it doesn't matter what I say as long as I do it with inflection, is a beauty pageant where the contestants are answering a question with nonsense. Oh, oh my God! And then the second piece, it's staged like Citizen Kane. And it's this guy talking like the Citizen Kane scene. And the guy's talking nonsense. And then when they get to that rapid fire piece that you just did, it's this weird cut. The guy's watching, doesn't understand. And all of a sudden, they start putting in scenes of the original video with him in it. And he's like very confused. That's the meta piece I'm talking about. And then out of nowhere, Paul Schaefer appears. He's lip syncing John Popper's vocal, and I'm like, what is that about? Well, it turns out that David Letterman was one of the first places they got national exposure, and David Letterman frequently called them his favorite band, and they appeared on they appeared on David Letterman's show more than any other musical artist has appeared on the show. And Paul Schaefer is actually recorded on some of their albums as a result of that. So that's why Paul Schaefer was in the video. I knew none of that going into this. That is so cool. I'll have to watch both those music videos because I think when you gave me this album, you talked a little bit about 
the music video for Runaround, which I think was the Wizard of Oz one. Yes, I forgot to talk about that, but yeah, the first one is sort of loosely based on the Wizard of Oz with these characters trying to get into a venue. They're underage. They all look like the cast of the Wizard of Oz. And when they finally do get in on the sly, the band that's playing the song, they keep giving you little snippets that something else is going on. You know, these little tight shots of John Popper playing the harmonica or whatever. But then what happens is the dog that's with them escapes and pulls the curtain back and reveals the fact that the real band's behind the curtain and the band in front is sort of doing the Millie Vanilli thing. So it's that Wizard of Oz thing, like paying yeah, no attention yeah, yeah. to the man behind the curtain. And the guy who's the manager of the club snaps the curtain shut at the very end of the reveal. And that's the guy who's sitting on the couch in the second oh, video. He's the, he's the actor that's playing the manager of the Very club. Very cool. So yeah, both those so there's videos. Like, there's like lore to this album. There is lore. <laughs> I love a band with some lore. All right, what do you think? Is it time to rate this beer? I think it is. This is pretty incredible. So once again, we're drinking Tripping Through Maine from Barreled Souls Brewing Co. in collaboration with Tripping Animals. Barreled Souls is in Seiko, Maine. And this was an imperial stout with maple syrup and blueberry jam. Well, you know me. I like a sweet stout. This happens to be a very, very good one. So I'm going to go four and a half on this. That's a big rating. That's a big rating. That's a good big beer, though, if you like a sweet stout. That's- I'm going 4-0. For it being an imperial stout, it doesn't have that real like booziness that a lot of imperial stouts have. Absolutely right. And that is what turns me off from that particular sub style. This is completely delicious. It's also not very syrupy. It's thick, but it doesn't stick to your mouth as much as some of them do. I can see if I had a bigger size of this that I might get sort of fatigued (laughs) after a bit. Um, But well, you wouldn't be able to order a big size. This is going to be limited to probably eight ounces in most bars. Yeah, fourteen point ten percent. That's extremely high. Yeah, you're not drinking a bomber <laughs> bottle of this. Uh, <laughs> this yeah. is an after-dinner drink. But very, very tasty. I'm still getting banana and chocolate, but I don't mind it. It's delicious. Yeah. I'm not getting a lot of blueberry. I am not either. Or yeah. maple, for that yeah. matter. I'm getting the chocolate and the coffee and the sweetness without it being identifiable, like you're saying, as maple syrup. But I'm not missing it. I find this totally enjoyable with just the banana and the chocolate. I'm only missing <laughs> it because it's in the name. Well, no, it's not in the name. It's in the description. Or in the description. All right. I have to take my final walk to the wall yes, of shame. You do. Let me do it. and smells like something I would like. Well, I had to uh, change my plan because you you cut in line on the stout. (laughs) So this is called Amorphia from Hudson Valley Brewery located in Beacon, New York. This is an IPA sour. Oh, yum. Described as a sour IPA with raw wheat, malted oat, milk sugar, strawberry, and vanilla. Tastes like slush puppy, strawberry buttercream frosting, Aperol strawberry bonbons. I was looking at this one and I considered choosing it, so. Well, had you chosen that, I would have got a stout. I'm sure. But there you go. And you said amorphia. Amorphia. I think I've had stuff from Hudson Valley Brewery before. Cheers. What do we got? Oh, wow. Find the IPA, though. That's a really... I don't care. (laughs) I know you don't. That's a delicious, delicious beer. And here's what's interesting. The longer it sits, the more sour it gets. This is the opposite of the first one we had, right? My um, parotid Parotid gland. squirting. (laughs) You're going to get it right one of these days. First of all, okay, I I just need to point out that it smells very strawberry. 
<laughs> well, you do that. And it has some mouthfeel similar to the smoothie sours that we had at Invasive Species. Well, it has lactose. It said milk sugar in the description, so that's the lactose problem. It's not quite as thick. It doesn't have pulp in it like those smoothie sours did. Right. But it, it's leaning in that direction. Yes, I agree with you. It's very sour in a delicious, delicious way. And it does linger. And it does continue to uh, increase in sourness. So I'm really, really enjoying this one. By the way, I'm just walking up to the board and looking for things that I don't think I've had. I didn't check my notes on the two that I picked out before to see if anybody had them or not. I just was like, I'm gone with my gut. And I was two for two. I didn't pick out either of them. Did you look at the ones I picked? I haven't done any of that yet. But but the point I want to make is that when I get back here and pull up to do the description and I see the rating, we had a very big day today on picking out spectacular beers. Yeah, but a place like this, they only carry, what would you say, 25 taps up there? I think they have. And maybe yeah. eight of those are wine or yeah. meat or seltzer. They're only going to be picking the, the best that's, of the best. Well, that's the advantage of coming to a place like this, right? Yeah. And they rotate stuff fast. Yes. That's the other advantage of a place like this. They're doing their homework and they're getting really great stuff. And then when that keg kicks, they've got something else great to replace it. And I think at least a couple of the ones we had were the bartender picks or whatever. So they're doubly verified. Yeah, right. That's the other cool thing. They've got notes up there on who picked what from the staff, which is fun. All right. Well, let's wrap up this album. Yes, let's. With a really, really delicious beer. Great pick. Thank you. So track 10 is an instrumental song, and it is called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. It's another shorty but a goodie. You kind of just get distilled down all the best aspects of this band. The guitar is incredible in this one. It's so much fun to listen to. And it's a, a minute and 55 seconds. Yeah. So it's just like the perfect little sampler platter of what this band offers. And I love it. Well, it's another Blues Roots song, right? Yeah. It's where their influence lies. And they do a short version of this that could be 15 minutes on stage. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you get a taste of what a live performance would be like. Right. But again, it's got that raw sound of being in a blues club in the middle of, you know, some swampy place in the South. Kind of roadhouse sounding riffs in there. Mm. Yeah, I, I like it a lot, too. When I went through, I was like, oh, here's an instrumental. That'll be easy. I'll make this my least favorite. But I couldn't do it because yeah, I like it too much so to, to put it in the bottom, <laughs> even though it's an instrumental. You know, that would have been the classic Hummel move. Well, we have to distinguish which Hummel, right? We have two Hummels here. B Hummel. That would have been the classic Pops move. Elder Hummel. To put the blues riff instrumental in the bottom. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It's hard to put anything in the bottom that 
A, so perfectly encapsulates what the band is about. And B, it's a minute and 55 seconds. So if you hate it, it's over fast, you know? <laughs> but here's the thing. You said, oh, it's hard to put something there that is what the band is all about. But you started off the conversation by going, what well, is the band three all about? Songs, yeah, exactly. What is the band all about? When I think of the band, this is what I think of. I think of harmonica. I think of blues. I think there's a blues rock structure to it. And so that's why that piano ballad really fell flat for me, even though it's a great song, because... This is what I want to hear from this band. Right. Stuff like this. Right. Well, that brings us to track 11, which is nothing like this. <laughs> True. <laughs> and track 11 is called Just Wait. Did you think for one minute that you were alone? And is your suffering a privilege you share only? Did you think that everybody else feels completely at home? Just wait, just wait, just wait, it will come. If you think I'm giving up on you, you're crazy. Time you just might take the feet and better. Time's a beauty, the road being long. I know that now you feel no consolation. I love this song so much, and it is entirely down to the lyrics. I think these lyrics are so beautiful. We talked at the beginning about, you know, you mentioned like the lack of confidence coming up in multiple aspects in multiple songs. And I said on both sides, this is the other side. This yes. is him not coaching, but encouraging or comforting someone who is feeling really down and feeling alone. And he's saying everyone has these issues, right? Everyone's miserable. And if you think I don't love you because of your mental health struggles, you're so wrong. And I think it's just beautiful, like recognizing that everyone goes through these mental health struggles and it's not a reason to abandon someone, you know? Right. It's a reason to comfort them and make sure they feel that they are not alone. And then when he says, you honestly make me proud, oh, it's just so sweet, you know? Yeah, that's the line that makes me think it may be a parental relationship with a child, right? Because I don't know that you would say to somebody, a friend or somebody on equal footing with you. No, I'm not saying you wouldn't say, oh, you make me proud. But that specific line makes me think more of somebody like a parent to a child. Yeah. So I feel like it's a parent dealing with a struggling child. So let's say it's teenage angst and you think you're the only person in the world right. who has this problem, right? That's a classic teenager thing. And having the knowledge that everybody struggles with this and parents have struggled with that when they were the same age or even now with different issues that everybody struggles is the support level that's needed in that. So when I read that line and I kind of steered in the direction of a parent-child relationship, it had that much more of a depth to it in the writing. So I, yeah, I think this is a beautifully written song. And I'll say what I said earlier, I think he's very good at putting out complex issues and 
dancing around that nicely on both sides of it and uh, there's a lot of self-awareness in those kinds of lyrics yeah. which I really appreciate and the, the other line that gets me in this song is time is the beauty of the road being long right oh, what a great gosh, line what right? a great line and you know I never really read it as a parent-child relationship before but that makes sense too a parent has obviously been through so much more time than a child and you can look at that and say, oh my God, life is so long. Do I really have to keep doing this and feeding myself and cleaning myself for 80 more years? That's intimidating. But you can also look at it as that's how you learn. We couldn't learn how to be a better person if we didn't have all that time. Right. Because we need all that time to make mistakes and screw up. And you only get that if you have a long life and you have the time to reflect and to improve on yourself. And I've certainly felt both of those things many times in my life. Like, oh my God, do I really have to wake up and go to work and sit at a desk and then come home and make dinner for myself? This is the next 70 years. What? It can't be that way. Well, that's a yes and no answer. Do you have to sit at the desk for 70 years? No, you can make different choices on what you want to do. You do have to get up by definition. If you don't get up, that's the end. <laughs> and also you do have to eat and clean yourself. That's... I know, but have... it, just, it just seems so dull sometimes. <laughs> do you I know? really have to brush my teeth again? I know. It's like I have to do this twice a day for the rest of my life. It's, it's intimidating. Just, it's, it is intimidating if you think you about how long say, to though. live. It's like my memories of high school. I remember taking Latin class, but I don't remember the day-to-day -day grind of Latin class. I couldn't tell you what I did on any particular day. But I do remember the day I shot a black and white film of the basketball team. So the things you remember from that era are the things that stand out. And the day-to-day minutiae that's repetitive just bakes into the background and you never really think about it again. I couldn't tell you anything about my Latin class except that I was there and I did well and... Galia asked Omnes in, in Tres... No, that was close. I almost Did you right. do well? No. I, well, <laughs> in Divisa Tres. Anyway. What does it mean? It's about the Roman war in Gaul, G-A-U-L. And it starts off by explaining that Gaul is divided into three parts. Seems like very applicable to yeah. life today. It's useless. It's useless <laughs> information, which is why you don't remember the minutiae, right? If I used it more, but maybe I'd remember. When you're looking ahead, obviously, by definition, you don't have any memories of what's to come. You only see the minutia. Right. I don't know what right. I'm going to do in six years that's going to light me on fire and be a, a forever memory. Just remember that the minutia is what gets you to the big moments. Oh, right? I know. So brushing your teeth twice a day is so <laughs> you could go have this amazing trip and see something really cool or whatever. Yeah. That's what you'll remember. You could still do that. You just wouldn't have any teeth. Like, I don't remember changing all of your diapers when you were a baby. Thank God. I remember the day you learned how to sit on a toilet and I never had to change you again. So they're the big moments. You know what I mean? I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> don't did, think we need to discuss my potty training on you the podcast. <laughs> rolled your eyes so aggressively you could almost hear it on the mic. <laughs> all right. We have one remaining song, track 12. And this is the one that I thought you were referencing when you were talking about a classic bluesy song and that's because i find the harmonica in this one to be almost like hobo train harmonica it's sort of a lower register of harmonica than we've heard so listen for that please watch you hear me Brother John. Brother John. 
finally a harmonica heavy <laughs> clip. It became almost frenetic there at the end. I love it. It sort of goes off the rails, right? He starts off in a controlled playing pattern and then he just gets progressively faster and faster and faster until at the end it's just off the rails. I love it. I could have really picked any clip from that song. It's a long, meandering, jammy song with a lot of harmonica. And the lyrics are incidental. The lyrics don't really mean anything. Brother John, are you sleeping? It's like the Frere Jacques song, right? This falls towards the bottom for me because it is longer and jammier. And again, that's not my cup of tea. But especially at the beginning, the harmonica to me just sounded so like train hopping. I don't know why, but that was instantly the image that came into my head and like cooking Franks over a fire by the train tracks, you know? I think there's something about the rhythm section that reads as that kind of train chugga sound. Chugga. Oh, that's so interesting. And I, and I didn't pick up on that till you said that about the hobo or whatever imagery you suggested there that made me think about that. I heard it more with some sort Sort of call and repeat from gospel music ah. you know maybe the brother john thing put me in that mindset which is sort of the backbone of some soul and some blues music you know a lot of rock and roll and soul music came out of gospel that was the secular version of gospel and there was a whole right. big argument among the black community about how dare you take gospel elements and use them for secular music but there's some of that in this it's the only song on here that gave me any kind of gospel music vibes at all huh. but the train thing it's definitely in there you could definitely hear it now that you suggested that so I like the song i agree with you it's long and jammy it's what they do live i feel like it's another version of a song that they put on here to say hey for all of you who come and tour and see us yeah this is what you're going to be looking for on the album and here it is and i think it's a good way to close the album i do like the way this wraps up the album even though it's long i think it's a good closer it's upbeat it's harmonica driven which is what we came to which i came to the album for the harmonica and so I do have an appreciation for the song, but I'm with you. It's probably in the middle to the bottom third of the album for me. Well, that's the album. That is the album. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? Well, I haven't dusted it off and listened to it again. I, I really did enjoy it. I don't play it as much as you would think I would play it, but going through this exercise, I really do like the album. And I'm shocked that I don't play it as much as I used to back in the 90s. Way, way, way back in the 90s. Way back in the 90s, <laughs> before you were born or around the Only time. Let's say around the time you were born. And the other thing is, this is the album I own. I don't have a lot of their other stuff. We talked about maybe playing their latest album from 20, what did I say, it was 2021? Yeah. On the way up here, just to hear what they sound like now. And they've continued to release stuff, mostly through independent labels, and they continue to tour and doing their thing out there. So kudos to them. I think it'd be really great to see them live because I think seeing them live would really change what your opinion of the band is. Because I'm that's sure. what they're most known for. Right? Yeah. Often weeks after we record one of these episodes, I'll have a hankering to go back and listen to one of these albums. So we'll see if I do for this album, but I struggle to find a scenario in which I would go, yeah, I think Four by Blues Traveler is the one I need to listen to today, just because of the diversity on the album. But there are some real gems on here, and I have really, really enjoyed getting to know the harmonica in particular. It's been really fun. So thank you for sharing this album. So how about we rate our final beer? Once again, this is Amorphia from Hudson Valley Brewery in Beacon, New York. And gosh, I, I gotta go big again. I'm going big for sure. I'm gonna go four or five. I am too. This is an outstanding beer. 
I could drink this all day. I'll tell you how good this beer is. The average rating is 4.35. <gasps> wow. That's incredibly high. And I'd love to take credit for it. Going, yeah, I did my homework and got us a good <laughs> beer, but I randomly picked nope. it. Yeah. Sometimes those are the best finds. All right. One final task, and then we can wrap this baby up. You owe me a record. I do. I'm going a little off the rails today, honestly. Again? I am assigning you the soundtrack of the movie Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. Oh my god. The animated film. The animated DreamWorks film Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. I'm not sure I've ever watched the film. What? But I believe we own the film. Zach and I watched that non-stop in the pilot with the TV screen. That was one we had on rotation. That and the Rotel Dorado. Well, let me tell you that because it was played that way, I would get to see it. Sure. That makes total sense. I don't think I've watched <laughs> this movie. I guess I have to not just listen to an album, but watch a movie for next time. I like the movie, but it's one of those where the soundtrack is arguably better than the movie itself. Hans Zimmer was the composer. Oh, wow. And there are many instrumental songs on the soundtrack, but the singer of all of the vocalized songs was Brian Adams. Was he involved in the writing too, or he was just a performer? Um, was it kind of like I the Phil know. Collins move on Tarzan to have somebody come in and... Yeah, I think it was. I don't, okay. I don't know if he did the lyrics as well. He might have, but he definitely sang all the songs with words. Well, I have no familiarity with the music or the movie, so I've got quite a bit of homework for the next time. Are you going to watch the movie? Should I also watch the movie? I, Should that be part of the discussion? Like our season premiere this year. Yes. <laughs> Well, interestingly, it was a song on the Xanadu soundtrack that I didn't enter into the Abigail Hummel School of Speaking Smartly About Music, but it did make me think of a song on the Spirit soundtrack, and that is what made me think to assign you this album. All right, well, we'll do a soundtrack. In the meantime, if you need more Pops on Hops content in your life, you can find us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at Pops on Hops Pod, or you can email us at popsonhopspod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you. Or you can check out our super cool website, popsonhopspod.com. That's where we put bonus photos, videos, and other materials related to each of our bi-weekly episodes. And that is also where you can submit to our virtual jukebox for a chance for your favorite album and even your voice to appear on the pod. And on behalf of Pops and Pops, we'll see you next time. With a big banana. With a watazini. With a ha 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 ha. Get mad, baby. With a hot lot lot doo doo. I want to drink like you. I want to walk like you. Talk like you. Something like that. Bye. Starfruit's a weird fruit, not gonna lie. It's I do star like fruit it. wine. I do like it. So. When we were at Schnebley, we reviewed their starfruit wine. That's right. I would call we this. We didn't. Yes, the we did. hosts of Dorks on Courts oh, yeah. reviewed that. You're right, you're right. Uh, our forgot. sister podcast. Our Get alter it. egos. <laughs> Get it right. <laughs>